0: For those who are new, we're going through a book of the Bible called 2 Corinthians. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And so we just started last week. And so we're looking at, this is just kind of the, the next few verses. So today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. Uh, just uh, you a know, small number of verses, but a very big and important idea that God is going to bring to us today through these verses. So what I'm gonna do is just kind of quickly walk through the text, these four verses, and then we'll we'll kind of go back around and we'll slow down and make some observations and bring some some thoughts. So it goes like this. For we I gotta get away from this creak in the floor. Drive me crazy! Oh my gosh! Okay, better. For we, again, Second uh, Corinthians chapter one verses eight to eleven goes like this: For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. By the way, this Greek word means brothers and sisters of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Seems kind of dramatic, doesn't it? But I think he was telling the truth. Nobody really knows exactly what Paul was talking about. I'm interjecting some thoughts here. Um, But we do know that Paul at one point said that he fought beasts in Ephesus. So it could have been that, that he was just, you know, he was a small guy, was walking along in the woods and maybe with his companions, and they were attacked by wild beasts. And Paul was really not a, it wasn't like a Samson kind of figure. He was just a small dude, and maybe it was overwhelming, and maybe they thought they were going to die could have been some kind of sickness <clears throat> that Paul experienced that he felt like uh, just inches away from death. It definitely could have been, you know, we just finished a long series in the book of Acts. And if you remember Acts chapter 19, the, the riots that happened in Ephesus where they were just surrounded by mobs of people. Paul, people wanted Paul dead and people were dying Obviously, in the book of Acts, and you see different people beheaded and Stephen stoned to death. And so Christians were dying. So Paul might have felt like that was the end for him. But we're not really sure. We can only speculate. But this is what Paul is saying that, hey, you, and I think probably the Corinthians knew exactly what Paul was talking about. We don't, because it's 2,000 years later. And so we're not sure. But it was a situation that Paul was in that he felt like he was going to die. And he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And this is the real punchline of my message today, this verse. And maybe a, a paraphrase of this could be, but that, that experience of affliction was purposed by God to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. The next verse says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Um, What he's saying there is the experiences of God delivering us in the past give us hope that He will deliver us in the future. Some have called that a history of God's faithfulness in our lives, right? When we're up against something difficult, don't you just naturally do that? Oh, I was here before. Oh, I remember when this happened. I remember how God brought me through that situation. You have this this kind of library of God's faithfulness that you can draw from to be able to face the thing that's in front of you. Then the fourth verse that we're going to look at says, you also must help us by prayer. In other words, your, your prayers play a role in pulling us through times of affliction so that many will give thanks on behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Uh, the word blessing is kind of, a, it's kind of an overused word, but it's definitely a biblical word. And it's a broad term that just refers to the gracious uh, interventions of God, things that God brings into our lives. And so what he's saying here is that when people are afflicted and other people pray for the person who is afflicted, God answers. Prayer works. The effectual fervent prayers of the righteous... Make a difference, right? So when we're going through something, it's good to get the word out there. Hey, I could use some prayer right now. And the people of God begin to pray and begin to cry out. And that does something. God hears our cries and releases blessing in response to the prayers of many. Sometimes we're so overwhelmed and so maybe fatigued or so uh, going through something that we can 't pray ourselves, we can all we can do is maybe groan or whisper some prayers it 's times like that we really need the family of God. This was designed to be something that we do together now, just to kind of tie it all together i 'm going to read these four verses in another Version of the Bible. It's really a paraphrase called The Message. You've probably heard it. It was written by Eugene Peterson, who was a great author. And he, this is kind of, again, a paraphrase, but he gives a little sense to the scriptures. And he says this, we don't want you in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when we were, when all this came down on us in Asia province. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row that it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead and he did it, rescued us again, rescued us from certain doom and he'll do it again. Rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. And then he says, you and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. I don't want you in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now, lifted in praise for God's deliverance of us. A rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial role heart. Amen. <clears throat> well, I want to kick off this message really just by being a little transparent. Hopefully this won't be too transparent for new people, but I'm just going to go there anyways because it just fits with this particular message. But I just want to say this, in my, own, in my own strength and wit I do not have what it takes to live the way God wants me to live. I can do nothing apart from Christ. I am weak by nature. I can't handle very much, I'll admit, on my own before I start losing it. I'm not tough on my own. Many people seem to possess, I've kind of felt this my whole life, a lot more natural ability, without any sort of dependence on God even, uh, to endure things. That's not been me. I I could not overcome my drug addiction as a teenager, young adult. I could not handle the emotional trauma of my childhood. I could not resist sinful appetites in my youth. And that makes me feel really vulnerable deep down. Because I I know that life could throw at me any number of overwhelming circumstances. Tragedy, illness, an accident could happen to me, some kind of natural disaster. We could enter into a war, different things could happen. Whatever, financial collapse, Anything can happen in our lives, in my life. So the very thought of these things, I just confess, at times kind of overwhelm me. How how am I going to handle that? How would I handle that? How would I I get through? You know, will my life end in shame uh, when everyone finds out the person they thought was so strong is actually pathetically weak? I mean, these are very real fears that I have at times. I take inventory of my own natural strength and find that the cupboards are bare. And so it's easy for me to fall into fear. But the Lord has been at work in the last three decades of my life training me to rely not on myself, but on him. I'd like to say I've arrived and I understand it now and I get it. Yep, I'm relying 100% fully all the time on God, but I I still have much learning to go. How does this training happen? By repeatedly putting me in circumstances beyond my ability to handle so that I am driven to rely on him. He calls me to do impossible things things that I just cannot do in my own strength. I mean, this started on day one back in 1989 when I started to walk with him when he said, turn away from your sin. Stop lusting after women. Develop a prayer life. Be humble and gracious toward all people. Well, that was overwhelming for a 21-year-old. I think of the call at one point, this was a long time ago, back when this was a thing. I wouldn't recommend doing this today, but God called me to speak the word of God in the 42nd Street subway station in New York City when I was a person who was absolutely paralyzed with fear, of public speaking. How God called me to face social fears, have difficult conversations with people. He called me to go to Bible school with no money. Okay. He called me to plant a church with almost no money over 20 years ago. He called me to tell everyone I knew that God was going to give us the Columbus Theater to begin the church in. Even though at the time it was a porn theater. He called me to find a building during a recession. Some of you remember that time, 77 Rezave that we were in. I think in more recent years, some of my bouts with kidney stones I was in the ER three times last year, or the year before, so I don't know, it was a blur. Tiffany had more things going on than I had. pre-cancer, hysterectomy. She had gallbladder uh, removal, emergency surgery. Her gallbladder was gangrene. She almost died. I remember I couldn't even be in the hospital with her because of the pandemic. She's like calling, trying to communicate. This is really, 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 really serious. Uh, She was in and out of the hospital for potassium levels that dropped. She could have had a heart attack. So many things. I think about the pandemic panic attacks that I had, like the most severe of my entire life. Things that were way beyond our ability to endure in our natural strength. I think of the debilitating seasons of dryness, but having to continue to minister the word of God on a regular basis and pastor people. Towering fears about certain things that swamped my heart in the nighttime. I think of the times I've been hurt deeply or even betrayed by people. In God saying, I want you to not only forgive, but forgive deeply from the heart. Say, I repeatedly find myself up against a wall I cannot get over in my own strength. It makes me think of Psalm 18. I'll read a little bit of it. It's kind of bits and pieces of it. Psalm 18, this is Psalm of David. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. But in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. And he sent from on high. And he took me and he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. I love this verse. For by you, God, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. You are the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. David, the king of Israel who wrote many of the 150 Psalms that we have in the Bible, was constantly put in a place where his own strength was insufficient to save him, right? He learned to rely on God's strength, even as a young boy, as a shepherd boy. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Speaking of Goliath. I mean, think about Moses. He led Moses to the Red Sea with armies behind his back wanting to just devour him. What was Moses supposed to do at that point? He put, God put his servants in Babylon in a fiery furnace and turned up the heat. He dropped Daniel into a lion's den to what seemed like a certain death. He surrounded Paul, as I said, Acts 19, with angry mobs of people who wanted to kill him. I mean, think of all the ways God through the years has put God's people in places that were desperate, up against impossible odds. God brings his people to a place where they have to rely on him to resurrect them out of the situation or resurrect them after they die. Either way, they trust him. Now, Job, it's kind of a famous verse. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This is only a work of God. I was thinking of this. In movies and TV shows, there's often a situation which the beloved main character right, falls into a situation that seems impossible for them to escape. Like, how are they going to get out of this situation? I'll tell you right now how they're going to get out of this situation. They are able to do the impossible because there is a writer who is outside the story, who is sovereign over the story. If the writer wills that the main character will be delivered against all odds, it will happen. And in our lives, listen, we need to understand that God is sovereign over our circumstances. The circumstances of our life, no matter how bleak they look, He's never surprised. He's engineering every detail of every day. And I know that's a complicated uh, theme because there's still free will and there's still sin and there's still demonic things in the world and there's our choices that we make. There's so much that goes into it. But God is, he takes all of that and works it together for his good. And so he's engineering everything. He's using all of that, all those materials. And if we perish, we perish in Christ in the exact time that the Lord has appointed for us to perish. And what I'm saying here is that the Lord at times orchestrates trials that are beyond our ability to handle. And these overwhelming circumstances train us to rely heavily on God. Now, we might uh, wonder if this unpleasant training tactic of God is really necessary. How many were wondering that as we were talking? Okay, good, all right. Can't we just learn from a book? That would be nicer, right? You know, I have a cup of tea, read a book about relying on Jesus and you just kind of get it downloaded into you. You know, can't we just be taught come listen to a sermon, get your coffee in the morning, listen to a sermon about dependence on God and like after, by the end of the sermon, you'll have it. The, the lesson will be learned, and you'll be good to go. You know, why are afflictions necessary? I don't like afflictions, right? We, who likes afflictions? They're unpleasant. They're grievous. Can't the blessings of God teach me to rely? And what's so bad about self-reliance anyhow? These are some questions you might be pondering that I have pondered through the years. Well, it seems that there's one thing that humans are all sort of cursed with in their sinful nature. We're born with with a sinful propensity. It's a quality that Satan himself has. It's been called the mother of all sin. It's pride. Pride. The essence of pride is not bragging or boasting, though it can lead to that, but pride is operating independently from God. Pride says, I can do it. I got it. I can handle this. I'm strong. I have what it takes. I don't need God's help. Pride will kill us if it is not uprooted. And the up. Rooting is no simple or quick matter. The great lesson of the Christian life can be summed up in the words of Jesus. John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Even Christians who may even quote this verse find themselves kind of bent on relying on their own wisdom. You know, we rely on our own wisdom, our own people, Our own wit, our own strength, our own abilities, our plans, our connections, our resources. Right? Think about when the affliction comes. What do we think? We start going to town, going to, all right, what are we going to, how are we going to, how are we going to take care of this? How are we going to deal with this? I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of it. I can get through. I'm strong. It is very easy for us to think we don't really need God for many aspects of our lives. I mean, we, Hopefully, as Christians, we realize we need His ultimate forgiveness when we stand before Him after death, and we are going to enter into the kingdom of God. Like we need His grace on that in that moment, we need the ultimate forgiveness. Like anybody who kind of calls themselves kind of gets that. But what we're talking about here is this dependence on God for the the nitty gritty, the daily stuff of our lives. See, we think we can handle that just fine. And this is pride. And it must be uprooted. What is the evidence of our pride? It's prayerlessness. When we can go days without number without crying out dependence on God, we can be sure pride is ruling our hearts. When we accomplish things apart from the reliance of God, it naturally leads to a sense of superiority over others. You know, we feel strong. We feel, I'm strong. Others are weak, but I'm, I'm a strong person. And we might even boast about it. We need divine intervention to break down the layers of pride in our hearts. If there's one thing we will never accomplish on our own, it's this. We will never uproot pride in our own hearts on our own. In fact, we, it's so, we're so far from that, we won't even recognize it without God. We won't even see it and we definitely won't even care about our pride because pride is the air that we breathe on this earth it is the stuff of humanity it's so normalized in fact we exalt it anyone who is like strong a human spirit we love that phrase we exalt and bow down to the human spirit and those are the things that we really wow they're impressive to us So we're not even going to see our pride or care about it unless God himself begins to work it out of us. The more we understand how deep our pride is ingrained in our nature and how serious it is, the more we understand why God must take drastic measures in orchestrating afflictions in our lives to uproot it. You see, the Bible says in more than one place, God opposes the proud. If pride was not dismantled in our lives over a lifetime, we would end up like Satan himself, eventually exalting ourselves and our opinions above the Lord. We'd become monsters of self righteousness. So the Lord is very committed and determined to do whatever he needs to do to keep us low. Now, how does this work? I'll give you a little bit on this. What happens when we are put in places beyond our ability to endure is that we're just moved to cry out to God in our distress We're driven to our knees. I mean, we don't just pray. We pray desperately. We pray in a way like, I I need to get through in this moment. We boldly ask God to carry us through, to help us. Our constant cry is, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you, God. God, please break through in my life. And we don't freak out. We don't lose heart because we know that God is sovereign. He is overseeing the story of our lives from start to finish. There's one verse on that. It's much written in the Bible about the sovereignty of God, but this is just one, I think, beautiful verse in Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance this is before we were born, right? In our mother's womb, God shaping us. Psalm 139 talks about that. In your book, this mysterious book, were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were, was none of them. In other words, God knew exactly how everything in our lives would play out from beginning to end while we were in our mother's womb. So we know that we can trust him to provide everything we need in every circumstance to flourish and to bear fruit. And I think this is true. The more experiences we have of God delivering us in our afflictions, the more confidence we have when facing present trials. And as we mature and trials come, we find the posture of our hearts starting to naturally bend more and more toward dependence on God. It takes a while to get there, but that becomes almost the default. We begin to be changed. We begin to, we're learning, we're being trained By God, when trials come, we just turn automatically. God, I need you, help me, walk me through this. And we bear afflictions gracefully. At times, we're surprised even. Now, if you're a brand new Christian, maybe you're not at this point. Yeah, but those who are a little older in the Lord, we experience this. At times, we're surprised at the super abounding grace that we're experiencing despite the severe afflictions we're going through and we realize that it's it's God upholding us. And so we cling to him every hour, every hour we need him. We trust that not a drop of our affliction will be wasted and we know that he is preparing us for eternity. And we may not understand what... He's doing in our lives, like what he's getting at. Oh, he's trying to refine my motives right now. That's what he's doing. In this. We don't usually know exactly what he's after or the kind of the purpose behind, but we know why he's doing it. We know he's shaping us to be more like the sun. He's forming us into his image. He's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. What's the main point in in all this, in these four verses? It's this, that God allows circumstances that are beyond our ability to handle at times so that we will trust in God and not ourselves. It is the great supreme lesson of the Christian life. Again, apart from Christ, we we can do nothing. God wants us to really understand that. We can't uh, love like Christ wants us to love. We can't overcome sin. We can't persevere through trials. I mean, we could cope, but persevere has this sense of like going through trials with confidence and burning hope. We can't forgive deeply from the heart. We can't have peace in the midst of trouble. We can't have a vibrant prayer life. We can't live holy. We can't give generously and secretly and cheerfully. We can't lead people to Christ. We can't be godly husbands or godly wives. We can't be good parents that resemble the Heavenly Father. We can't have a pure heart and pure motives. We can't repent. We can't even desire God. We can't bear fruit. We can't face death with grace and confidence without fear. We can't even please God. We cannot even please God apart from the grace of God working in and through us. We really can't do anything of any eternal value Apart from Christ working in us and through us, we need Him. So, God will spare no affliction to uproot our wretched self reliance and pride. As I said, it's deeply ingrained into our sinful nature to operate independently of God. But, you know, on a serious note, the self reliant person. What is the end of that road? It's hell. Really, hell is a place for people who want to do it their way. They're not all like sinister, terrible people that are trying to kill everybody or do terrible things. They're just people that just, hell is a place where people will go who do not want God's help. They just want to do what they want to do, want to do it their way. The proud will not enter the kingdom of God. And for us, you know, as Christians, call ourselves Christians, I'm assuming most of us, if not all of us in this room, it's not enough just to, you know, to say the prayers, get water baptized, uh, read the Bible, go to church, do, do all the things. Our pride must be crushed into Humility like grapes being crushed in a wine press. It's a work that has to be done in us. There's no avoiding it. God allows circumstances beyond our ability to handle to teach us to rely not on ourselves, but on him. James 1 puts it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces something produces steadfastness steadfastness must have let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing in other words don't fret over trials let the process happen let the afflictions come don't be bothered by them doesn't mean you're going to love them or enjoy them trials the bible is clear about suffering and affliction it's grievous It's not fun. It's unpleasant at the time. But it produces something. Let afflictions produce what they need to produce. Say to God amidst your fiery trial, okay, God, I'd love to get out of this, but if you're gonna keep me in this for a bit, do what you need to do. Purge me. Remove the dross. Deepen my faith. Crush my self-reliance. Detach me from idols. Give me longings for eternity. You, God, are my strength. You're my hope. You're my all in all. Carry me through. Apart from you, I cannot do anything, God. I need you. But through you, I can leap over a wall. And through you, I can do all things. And through you, I can face death itself with burning hope. So, Lord, let this grievous trial produce praise and honor and glory in the kingdom that lasts forever. Let my afflictions prepare me for an eternal weight of glory. And so on and so forth. That would be, I mean, you can put it into your own words, but I'm just trying to give you the kind of the essence of the prayer of dependence on God. And we're kind of talking about two things here because there is the extreme, drastic, overwhelming, near-death experience, you know, where you just go, oh my Lord, you got a breakthrough. Like there's those times that we kind of all have. Some seem to have more than others for whatever reason. But there's also just this constant daily cultivation of our need for God. And again, uh the evidence of our pride is prayerlessness. And we we can't we just can't use the excuse, well prayer is difficult for me. I just don't understand really how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Like you just if you need if you need something, you're gonna figure it out. It's like you just need God. You don't need fancy words. You don't need all this theology. You don't need... it's just, But when you know your need for God, that's the first thing that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who know their need for God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you understand your need for God, there's a constant cry in you. Lord, help me to do this. God, help me to walk. Through. Help me to forgive this. Birth. Help me to... And maybe... Maybe I need God more than you do. Maybe that's true. But I think even the most self-reliant, strong person, we all need God to do what he has called us to do. Part of the reason why people have no prayer life whatsoever is because their whole concept of the Christian life is according to their own making. Making. Right? They've made the Christian life so easy, and so they've lowered the standard so much, they've cut themselves so much slack that it's easy. You don't even need the Holy Spirit to do it. All you need to do is just kind of be a good guy, a good person, have a little bit of a, you know willpower, and you'll be great. But when you like read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. You can't even be angry with people or that's murder in your heart. If you stew in that and stay in that, you must forgive. You must be filled with the spirit. You must be pure in your motives. How are you going to do that? How am I going to do? That? I don't care how strong-willed, how much willpower you. These are things. Jesus set the bar so high that we should every day be like, "Lord, there's no way I can do that today apart from you. I need you. I need you. Help me to sustain. Help me to do these things. Help me to live like Christ. We should never have even one single day that we wake up and be like, "You know what? What I got planned today, it's kind of easy. I don't even really need to pray. I don't don't even need God today. I'm just going to get through on my own. No, every day we need a miracle. Every day we need God to work in and through us in order to do what he has called us to do. My closing thought is this. Um, Some of us may be, right now, in this very moment, in this season, in a kind of fiery affliction. And some have maybe been there for quite a long time. Have you ever been in a trial so long you can't even remember what it was like to not be in it? Just those long seasons of kind of oppression and spiritual darkness? Well, the temptation is to shrink back, to fade away, just to kind of uh, shut down, to harden your heart, you know, just to kind of go into self-reliant mode, just control what you can control, to play it safe, to stay at home as much as possible where you can control your tiny environment. Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, to lower the standard of God's holiness Dramatically, and kind of toss aside the call of God to go into all the world and do impossible things and be led by the Spirit, whatever He tells you to do, to go wherever He wants you to go. No, we shoo that away and we just nestle into existing and just kind of holding things together. Listen, I'm pleading with us this morning not to go down that path. That leads to nowhere or worse. May we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and may we express our need to him every hour. I'm asking you to join me in my uh, pathetic weakness and my dependence on God. I am not strong, and I hope you don't think you're strong either. We need God. We need him every hour, like the old song, every hour. Lord, I need you. I'll leave you with one verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. We need that. That's the promise of God. He will give us everything we need for life in godly living. We cannot do it on our own. Amen. Um, do we have more Okay, I just want to make sure. didn't want to put you on the spot there. Okay. Uh, the musicians are going to come back up just so we can have a time of... Uh, it's only a quarter after 11, so we got some time. But I'm going to have you guys stand in a, in a moment, but just give you some direction. Let's use this time to express our need for God. I mean, we can sing the songs and sing the lyrics of the songs. But even in, in your own words, in your own way... Uh, can I just invite you to just say to God, Lord, yeah, just I need you, God. Not just for ultimate forgiveness when I die so I can get into the kingdom of heaven, but Lord, I need you for everything. I need you to, to live out this Christian life the way you want me to live it. Help me, God. It's so, again, you know, the world will frown on that and will maybe look down on you and think that you're a weak and pathetic person. Who cares? I don't care what whatever you know it's like whatever people want to think because I don't fit into their like poster child of the strong man and I'm like I can do all things myself and I'm powerful the human spirit you know Harrison Ford and the mosquito coast you know is the epitome of that if you saw that movie listen that's not that's not the way of God this is an upside down kingdom the weak receive the strength of God is good to be weak and to be dependent on God. And that's the value of the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who who know their need for God. Do you know your need for God this morning? Express it every day through constant prayer. Cling to him throughout your day for everything. That's what dependence looks like. Much prayer equals great dependence. Those two go together. All right. Love you guys. Thanks for listening this morning. Let's stand up and worship the Lord and draw near to him. We need you, Lord.